Welcome to Parallel Church. Uh, we feel like, like Christianity is not just a personal faith. That Yes, there's a personal relationship and we never walk alone. But we also feel like Jesus gave us a pretty clear mandate uh, as Christians on how that we're supposed to walk with people as well. And we named our church Parallel Church because we don't want people to walk alone in whatever situation they're going in. That we want to be... Uh, we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, that he left us on this planet to be his ambassadors, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and uh, we have a mission to do that, to love as Jesus loved, which that's, <laughs> that's virtually impossible to live up to the standard that Jesus set, but we are doing our best, and we're not perfect, not ever going to be, but we are doing our best to pursue Jesus, and we are excited that you joined us today. If you're joining us for the first time or you're relatively new Special welcome to all of you. Let's welcome everyone that's joining us at one of our five physical campuses. Welcome Tabor, Claris Home, Okotoks, Lloyd Minster, Lethbridge. Welcome all of you joining us online. Welcome Pastor Phil and Carol and Elizabeth and Linda and Pete and Charity and Deborah and Hope and Christy and George and Beeb and Lisa and Nikki and Michelle and Greg and Wanda and Lori and Darlene and Patty and Michelle and Jalisa and Annabelle and Sherry and Jan and Logan and Karen and Brian. Welcome to all of you guys. Uh, wherever you guys are joining us around the world, welcome, 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 welcome. And welcome to a brand new series for love and impact. And I, I want to, we are living in a crazy time. Anybody notice that? Like, the world's not getting any, like, COVID is mostly a thing of the past. But the world isn't getting any more sane. Anybody notice that? Like, it's just, it's crazy. And it's a crazy time to be alive. And one of the big things that, that I've found post-COVID, let's, let's deal with that. Post, let's just be honest, I think all of us have a little bit of PTSD from the last couple of years. <laughs> like, like that's, that's, not just, that's not just Kelly's opinion, that's medical experts' opinions. Like, these are people, like, it's been an overwhelming, unprecedented, crazy, traumatic time, and there, all of us are dealing with a little PTSD. But I think on top of that, in the midst of, of the last couple of years and the shakeup of the last couple of years, people are leaving jobs like never before. People are leaving, you know, families. People are leaving churches. People are leaving, like, people are just leaving and, and everything. And, and they're in this lostness of, I think, an insecurity that is anchored in not being able to confidently answer probably two of the most important questions that a human being has to answer. And the two most important questions that a human being needs to answer is, who am I? Right? In other words, who did God create me to be? What is my purpose? Like, what, what, why am I created? Why did God create me? Who am I? What is my personality? What is my purpose? What makes me unique? What is my place in this world? And, and what am I supposed to do? And the second question is, what am I here for? Who am I and what am I here for? And when we don't answer those questions, those two questions confidently, we end up lost. We end up confused. We end up, I don't know, like if you don't know the purpose of something, you'll abuse it. Isn't that right? If you don't know the purpose 
of a, of a screwdriver and you try to use it as a hammer, you will abuse both the nail and the screwdriver, right? It, that's the, if you don't know the purpose of something, you will abuse it. If you don't know the purpose of your own life, you will abuse it. If you don't know the purpose, like the purpose of why you're here, you will end up confused, lost, wandering, and, and not, you know, not able to settle on what you're supposed to be doing, what you're, what you're all about, where you fit. And anybody have any of those questions like, where do I fit? Anybody have, like, the boldly, just, you can, okay, online, you can raise your hand. I, I, it's all good. But just lately, and just going, questions that I think that are surfacing maybe more than ever is, what am I doing? What am I here for? Like, where, where, do, where do I fit? But I, I want to address those two questions today and into the series because I think, this is, what, this is what I believe the Bible says, and I believe it to be true. In Psalm 139, it, David says, hey, God, when you made me, you did good. Like, if you don't, that's, David had a moment. I don't know if he was looking in a mirror or he just had a good day. But he basically, this is Psalm 139, look it up. He's like, man, God, when you made me, you done good. And I'm thinking, David, like, seriously. But this is, this is what he said. And David went on to say, come on, when's the last time you said that? <laughs> David went on to say, before the world was even formed, God, you had a plan for me. Right? Which, when you think about it, before God created the heavens and the earth, and before God created Adam and Eve, God had you in mind for such a time as this. That he knew, which means that he created you to fulfill a purpose in this space, in this time. God wasn't surprised by COVID and by the world shutting down and all the rest of it. And God knew you were going to not just live through it and survive through it, that you were going to, that we all had a purpose for such a time as this. I believe this to the core of my being that you were made on purpose for a purpose for such a time as this. And when we aren't confident in that, we get confused, we get lost, we make mistakes. And I think as believers, we need to be, as, as believers in Jesus, as believers in the Bible, we need to be the most confident people on the planet that we know why I'm here and what I'm here for. Yes? Okay, so let's address it. And the Bible addresses it multiple places. In fact, look at this, 2 Corinthians 5. This is, Paul says this, and I'm going to read out of the Message Bible because it's just blunt. Okay, and you can read out of any translation and it'll get to, it'll say the same things. And I'll, I'll reiterate some of the other translations and how it words it so that you'll be familiar with some of these verses. Some of you are very familiar with these verses, maybe not so much from the Message Bible. This is what Paul says. He's writing to the church in Corinth. And, and the church in Corinth, when he's writing, is going through immense persecution and, and they're probably having questions and they're, you know, they're, going, what are we here for? What are we doing? Like, are we all this? And this is what Paul says to them in, in speaking to them when they're maybe been upset by recent 
you know, persecutions or recent things being upset. A lot of times the early Christians lost their, their jobs because as soon as they identified as a Christian and they weren't worshiping the Roman gods anymore, they were stripped of their jobs or the businesses. People would ostracize them, not buy from them. So because of that, a lot of people who anchored and, and were to, you know, taught and told you know, from this age on that you're a craftsman or you do this or this is your career, they would attach their identities to their jobs and then all of a sudden they become a Christian and they lose their jobs. They lost like their identity. And so he's addressing some of these, these mentalities and this is what he says. He says, our firm decision is to work from this focus center. So when, when Paul's addressing this church, he's saying, okay, there's a focus center and we got, we got to get back to the focus center. So let's apply that to today. You know, COVID upset the center. <laughs> All right. Good news. This is another week of an election in the U.S. <laughs> if you're watching the news, it's like, <laughs> good news. We get to see this again. Like, the world's gone crazy. Come on. Right? So, and, and you're going, and everything gets off-centered. And Christians, by the way, the church has been off-centered. Yes? Right? So come on. We need to know. He says, he says, listen, there is a focus center. And what he's encouraging to do is to get back to this focus center in answering who am I and what am I here for? Come back to this focus center. What's interesting when Paul addresses this focus center, identifies that there is a focus center, Paul says it's a firm decision that gets you there. It's not, look at this, it's not a fickle emotion. It's not a fickle feeling that'll get you there. It's not whether you feel good or feel bad that's going to get you off center. He says there's a firm decision. Regardless of the feelings, regardless of the circumstance, there's a firm decision, okay, that you have to work from in order to get to that, fo that focus center. Okay, we see that. Then he goes on and he says, okay, what is that focus center? He says this, one man died for everyone. Okay, so before you write him off as, well, of course he's going to say that. He's writing the Bible. When Paul wrote this, he didn't know he was writing the Bible. Paul's not writing the Bible. He's writing a letter to a group of Christians who are, who are questioning what their center is. Like, what are we here for? What's this all about? They're questioning this. And so Paul's writing this and says, okay, there's a firm decision that is, that is our center. And he says, one man died for everyone. And, you know, the, the church in Corinth would go, well, of course, Paul, that, we know that. You know, it's so easy to say, well, God's my center and Jesus, Jesus is my center. I know that. No, no, wait, 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 wait. Before we write this off, well, yeah, Jesus is my center. And yeah, because we can easily say that, right? Not understand it? Paul almost assuming that we're all going to write him off when he says, well, Jesus is the center. He explains it a little bit more. And he goes, no, no, no. There's a firm decision that, that we have to make. Not a feeling. Not a one-time prayer. There's a firm decision that we need to make to have this focus center that Jesus, one man died for everyone. Then look what he says. He says this. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could be included in his life. Okay, hold on. 
Hold on, hold on. Do you notice how many times Paul said everyone that Jesus died for the believers? No, no, no. Jesus died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. And when I read this, I was like, we have a whole lot of boats going on in society today. Isn't that what is happening most of all is that people are, come on, election week, come on, COVID week, come on. We have a whole bunch of other boats that we like that we like to, to climb in and out of. And, and today's society, this is, I don't know if it's social media, I don't know if it's COVID, I don't know if it's crazy elections, I don't know if it's just human nature, but, but human nature is, if you don't agree with everything in, in the way that I agree with it and all the rest of it, you can't be in my boat. You got to find another boat, right? If you don't agree with me, block, unfriend, like shut off. Like we can't, we, have you noticed this? That we've created more boats. And this is not just society. Come on, this is, this is the church. 45,000 different denominations is 45,000 different boats. <laughs> Come on. And Paul's saying, hey, there's a focus center, and that's Jesus died for everyone so that all of us could be in the same boat. And this, this is not, Paul's not writing to us today, and he's writing to the church in Corinth. And in, in, the, in those times, there was multiple boats too. There was Jew boat and the Gentile boat. There was the Samaritan boat and there was the Israel boat. There was the Roman boat and there was everybody else's boat. Like there, there, was, there was a whole bunch. There was the tax collector boat and the sinner boat. Those two didn't even get along. Right? Come on. You ever, you ever notice that people gathered around Jesus were the tax collectors and the sinners and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the... Can't you see? Like they had all these different, they had all these different boats, right? So today, come on, let's pick your boat. You're you got the liberal boat and the conservative boat. You got the NDP boat, and then yeah, you know, whatever. Then you've we've got the vaccinated boat and the unvaccinated boat. We if we don't have enough boats, we create bo boats. We got racial boats. We got, we got all these different things. And if people don't align or agree, you can't be in my boat. But the problem is, is Paul says, hey, there's a focus center. The, Jesus died for the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Jesus died for the liberals and the conservatives. <laughs> Jesus died. For everyone. So that everyone, wait a second, when we get to heaven, there's not going to be the liberal side and the conservative side. There's not going to be, there's not going to be the Pentecostal side and the conservative side. There's not even going to be a Mennonite section in heaven. Because <laughs> if there was, I'd go there for lunch every day. Anyway, just say <laughs> Come on, we got, we got all these boats, right? We got, we got our church boat and their, their church boat. Us and them. We got the saved and the unsaved boat. It doesn't say Jesus died for the saved. Jesus died for everyone. Putting everyone, this is what Paul's saying, in the same boat. 
included everyone. He had everyone in mind. Whether we agree with him or don't agree with him, whether we believe in him or don't believe in him, he had everyone in mind when he was on that cross. So that everyone could be included. Everyone. Okay, we're not getting this yet. Everyone. Just think of the, the, the other boat that you like the least. Even the country music boat. That's the part of heaven I'm skipping. That's the thing. I'll be on the other side. No, just kidding. <laughs> Every boat. Come on, come on. We got, we, we got our boats, right? And we want God to get them in their boat. He's like, no, I died for them too. So that we could be included in his life. Then he says this, a resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. <laughs> Which, think about who he's writing to. Like he's writing to people who are losing their jobs because they're Christians. They believe in Jesus. People who are losing their lives because they believe in Jesus. People who are losing their family members and their loved ones because they believe in Jesus. And he's saying, come on, come on. He's saying it's a far better life. And they're like, Paul, you're writing this from prison. Think about your life, Paul. A far better life? You were one of the most rich, powerful, prominent leaders in society before you got into the Jesus boat. And then you got into the Jesus boat and you lost your position, you lost your power, you lost your wealth, and you lost your freedom because Paul's writing this from prison. And you say, Paul, it's a far better life? Huh? Why? Why can you say that? He says it right here. He goes, because of this decision to make Jesus at the center, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. <laughs> Come on, Christians. Because we are Christ, because we are Christians, because we make the decision to make Jesus the center, we no longer judge people by what they have or have not or how they look or they don't look. <laughs> come on. That, that, like, we don't do that anymore. That's what he's saying. Now, now, come on. Is that convicting? Because, man, society, they ju we judge our entire society is based on what people have or have not. Our entire society is based on how people look or don't look. Entire industries are based on changing the way you look. Because if you can change the way you look, you can be accepted, or so we're sold or taught. But he says that in the church, we don't do that. As Christians, we don't do that. And I'm convicted because I was like, is, is the culture, because of this decision, is the culture in here that much different than the culture out there? Should be. Because look at 
part of the far better life is that when you come into the, into the Jesus boat, is that you're not going to be judged by these things anymore. That's better. Right? Because of this decision. We no longer evaluate people as society does. Because look at, and then Paul goes on, he says, we looked at Jesus that way. And, and the, that way once, and got it all wrong, as you know. He says, we looked at Jesus that way and got it all wrong. In other words, the church, in, in the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the church and the Jews who grew up being taught the Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah, everything was about the Messiah, they missed the Messiah being right in their midst because they were looking for the Messiah in the same eyes society did. They were looking for someone with power and he, he came as a servant. They were looking with someone with wealth and he didn't even have a place to lay his head. It says they were looking for someone they were looking for someone completely different. They were looking for what society. They were looking for a ruler who would overtake, overthrow Rome. And he got crucified by the Romans. They looked, they looked, and because they were looking with society's eyes, they missed God in their midst. And I'm wondering, I'm just wondering, come on, as Christians, if we are to look, if we evaluate and judge one another, we can miss God too in the situations because we're looking with the same eyes society looks at. Says we don't look at him that way anymore. You think why? Because he rose again from the dead. And they went, oh. He says, now look at this. He says, now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start. Is created new. Who? That's good, right? They judge Jesus by by his appearance, appearance, and they missed him. He says, no, no, no we don't do that. We don't even judge. Come on. We don't even judge people by their sin anymore. And what degrees of sin they have and identify people with their sins or their past or their all these. We don't do that no more. Because we look inside. We don't look at, we don't create separate boats because of someone's sin. Jesus changed all that. We now look inside because someone who makes the decision gets a fresh start and is created new. This is why we have a far better life, right? That's good. Then he says this, the old life is gone. A new life emerges. Look at it. It all comes from God who settled the relationship between us and him. All this is not anything that we did. Right? It's not the way that we changed our looks, not changed, you know, our church we attended. It's not that we changed, we changed our sin patterns or, or all the rest of it. That's not what, it's that God changed the, the, the whole atmosphere. He settled the relationship between us and him. When Jesus died on the cross, this firm decision, we agree with that. That changed everything. That settled it. So that means that everyone's in the same boat. Everyone's in the same boat. It's not about sin anymore. It's not about, well, you sin worse than my sin, so you can't be in my boat no more. Jesus settled all that. Right? So what happens if he settles the relationship with us and him? What, what happens? He goes, all this comes from God, who settled the relationship between us and him, and then, uh-oh, 
called us to settle our relationship with each other. Okay, okay, okay. I started all this in saying we need to know who we are and what our purpose is. When we get, we get the understanding that all of us are in the same boat, regardless of our wealth or lack of, regardless of our sexuality, regardless of our race, regardless of, our, like, regardless of who we vote for and who we don't for, regardless of our vaccination status, regardless of all that, all of us are in the same boat. We don't judge one another anymore because of the boats that we're in or the agreements or disagreements. And we, because all of us start brand new, all of us are anchored again. Our identity and the boat we're in is now anchored in Jesus. The relationship with God and, and, and us settled. Then that settles my identity. Then I have a responsibility and a purpose attached to settle our relationships with each other. Ugh. That means I got to look at the other boats and going, I got to, I got to get along. Huh. And then he, he, he makes it worse. Just so. He goes on, he says, God put the world square with him self through Jesus giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God said all of that. And God, and then he says, God has given us, who? who's us? He's writing to the church, us, the Christians, us, the church, us who've made the firm decision that Jesus is our center. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. Then he says this, we're, God, we're Christ's representatives. Other translations say we are ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is a representative of the country that they're representing, right? So I looked up. I was like, okay, what's the, what's the job description of a modern-day ambassador? This is, there's ambassadors back then. We still have ambassadors today. I was like, okay, what's, what's, what's the job description? Of course, Canada didn't post theirs. The U.S. did. So here is part of the job description of a modern-day ambassador. Okay, so here's the job description, right off the job description of an ambassador of the U.S. All ambassadors officially represent the U.S. government on behalf of the president in treaty negotiations, immigration discussions, foreign and, uh, and aid projects, and humanitarian aid programs. That's what ambassadors are. That's part of the job description. So get this. When, when Paul says to the church, you want to know what your identity is? You are an ambassador of... God, in other words, you are the re official representative of the King of Kings, right? Responsible, he says, responsible for helping others get along, right? Treaty negotiations, the church has got to be at the forefront, right? Immigration discussions, come on in to, 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 the, to the body of Christ, right? Foreign aid projects, humanitarian aid projects. We have a responsibility as ambassadors. Now, now watch this. Where, when the king shows up, the ambassador loses their job. You don't need an ambassador where the king is. Canada doesn't have an ambassador for Canada. Our prime minister is here. Right? Like, like we don't... The U.S. doesn't have an ambassador in the U.S. The ambassadors represent 
where the president isn't. So when the king shows back up, we're not ambassadors anymore. But the fact that we're called ambassadors means that we're called to colonize this territory as representatives of the king. So watch, in 1808, the, the, the king of Portugal, who thought Napoleon was, was going to attack Portugal, moved his, himself and his entire government court to Brazil and set up in Brazil. And there was, and Brazil was a you know, colony of, of Portugal. There was an ambassador there. As soon as the king showed up, the ambassador lost his job. He's no longer needed anymore. The king was there. The entire court, where the king went, the government set up. Eventually, you know, a number of years later, the king moved back to Portugal and the, the ambassador then had a decision and this is when Brazil became its independent country and all the rest of it because the ambassador that was left behind, actually a relative of the king, decided, yeah, I don't want to go back to that rule again representing you. I kind of like how you live. And they created a rebellion and Brazil became its own country. But the point is this. The point is this, is that when the king's there, there's no need for ambassadors. Our identity, our identity is when Jesus said, I'm going and it's going to be better for you that I go because now you're going to be your representatives. We're the representatives. We're not waiting for God to show up on earth to fix things. That's what I'm saying. We're not waiting for God to show up on earth to fix things. We're his representatives with a purpose to fix things. And it all starts with who am I and what am I called for? Then look at this. We're called to be his ambassadors. Then Paul goes on and he says this. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences. Other translation says we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, which we could say that and go, yeah, nice. But wait, this one hit me like a ton of bricks. Eugene Peterson's interpretation of the ministry of reconciliation in the Message Bible is that God uses us as ambassadors, calls us to be ambassadors. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences. Not to create more differences. Because come on, as a church, big C church, not just our church, but as Christians, the world knows more what we stand against than what we stand for. The world knows more about, you know, you got your boat and your boat ain't anywhere near our boat. And the world looks at the church and goes, I don't want to get in that boat. That doesn't look like a far better life. You guys are, you guys are against everything. And yet, the reason why the church is so confused, and the reason why we as Christians are so confused, is because we didn't know that our assignment is to be a representative of the King of Kings, and that assignment, that job description, is to persuade men and women to drop their differences. Not with us with each other. How many think we got some work to do? <laughs> that it's our job, King, to get everyone to get along? 
How many things has changed some stuff? What we do and how we do it. God uses us. God uses you in your workplace to persuade men and women to drop their differences. God uses you in your neighborhood to persuade men and women to drop their differences. God uses you in the city. Me to persuade men and women to drop their differences. And enter into God's work of making things right between them. And then he says this. We're speaking for Christ himself now. And this is what we speak. We're speaking for Christ. That's heavy responsibility. And we're saying, become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. In other words, he died for you already. He died for everyone. He created that we can all be in the same boat. He's already a friend with you. Wow. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved. And Jesus modeled this. We're supposed to be representative of Jesus, speaking on behalf of Jesus. Jesus modeled this dropping the differences better than any other human being in history. And it started with Jesus calling his disciples. Because you look at, look at this. Jesus had some crazy dudes around him. Like, the most unlikely. Like, Jesus called Simon the Zealot. You know what a zealot is? A zealot is basically a, a terrorist. A Jewish terrorist and zealots were under the mandate of, we're going to topple Rome. And we're going to get Rome violently. They're going to attack and violently attack and get Rome and overthrow the government of Rome. We're going to take down the government. So <laughs> that was the zealot. God's, Jesus said, hey, Simon, zealot, terrorist, come and be on, on, on my team. Okay? And he's like, okay, you're on my side. That's what we automatically assume. You want to be with me? You're on my side. Then Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector. What was a tax collector? A tax collector was not, he was a Jew who was an employee of Rome. So you had someone who says, I'm going to topple the government, and someone who worked for the government. And Jesus said, we're going to be on the same team. Huh. And then Jesus went to the Samaritan's woman. And Jesus went to... Zacchaeus is the tax collector's house. And Jesus talked with the Pharisee, and Jesus healed the, the Roman centurion's daughter. Jesus did everything to reconcile the differences and said, hey, all y'all, we're all in the same boat. It doesn't matter where you're born, or what your job is, what your past is, we're all in the same boat, and I came for everyone. And then he says, then as Paul's saying, then he gave us the assignment to do the same. So when people look at parallel church, come on, it should be a mosaic of all kinds of boats, all showing the representing the world that we all get along. Right? Do you know so-and-so goes to that church? Yes! Do you know they believe this? Yes! You let them? Yes! 
Because we're called to be representatives of the King of Kings who is called to persuade men and women to put aside their differences because we're all in the same boat because Jesus died for all. And then Paul says this in Galatians. He says this, I suspect you would never intend this, but this is what happens. He's, he's writing to the church in Galatia. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. what he's saying. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you cut off, you are cut off from Christ and you fall out of grace. In other words, you leave the far better life behind. When you choose to live by your own religious plans and projects, when you say Christianity's got to do this and we got to take on this assignment, and you get off assignment of reconciling differences, we get off assignment and make it all about us, we cut our, off ourselves from the grace of Jesus. Many goes, meanwhile, we expectantly wait for a satisfying relationship with the Spirit. <laughs> and then we say, for in Christ, neither our most conscientious religion nor disregard of religion amounts to anything. What matters is something far more interior. Faith expressed in love. Faith expressed in love. What matters most is that we don't base our boats on our theologies or on being right. What matters most, that's the faith, what matters most, that we believe right, that we're right, and that the, the, the government needs to do it this way, the Bible's way, you got to do it right, and that church has got to be get right, and this, all this kind of stuff. He says, no, 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 what matters more is not the boat that you create, the religious boat that you create. What matters more is faith expressing itself through love, reconciling differences, loving the way Jesus did. And what if? It's love. That's the love boat. There we go. What if? What if? What if? You picked up the assignment, wondering what am I here for? What are we here for? Why, why, why not? When the world is, create, is, is looking for opportunities to divide, what if we look? What if we? That's why we're here, is to unite. What if? What if we believe this statement? Today's takeaway, everything starts with love. And every interaction is an opportunity to cultivate a lasting impact. For love and impact. That's what our purpose statement is. That's why we're doing this series and going, what if we took up our assignment? What if? Come on, Parallel Church. What if we walked alongside people? What if we walked alongside people with different boats and we're the person in between and walk alongside and saying, hey, I love you and I love you. And, and I love you, liberal voter, and I love you, conservative voter. I love you, vaccinated, and I love you, unvaccinated. Come, let's walk together. What if? What if? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the clarity that your word gives us and who we are, who we're created to be, and that I thank you for settling our relationship with you once and for all. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you.
that we don't have to earn it. You did it all, Jesus. Thank you. God, help us to see the purpose that you create us to be as your representatives, your ambassadors, to walk alongside people, to persuade men and women to set aside their differences. God, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see opportunities to do just that. Give us the wisdom to know how to approach it and the courage to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're here today and you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you might be shocked. Maybe you thought Christianity was that separate boat, that other boat. And you, here's the thing is that it takes courage to follow Jesus because there's people who are going to assume because the church has misrepresented him for so many years. People are going to assume that as soon as you jump into the Jesus boat that you're jumping away from them. But I want you to see something. I want you to see that when you jump into the Jesus boat, that means you're jumping into all the boats. And that we have a job to tie all that together. And if you haven't began a relationship with Jesus, he already settled the relationship. All you need to do is confess with your mouth that he did what he did, that he is who he says he is, that he is God. And he rose again from the dead. And right here, right now, you can begin a relationship with him. It's that easy. So if you've never prayed this prayer, I'm going to lead you in a prayer that's going to confess that Jesus is God. And if you pray it for the first time right here, right now, you can begin a relationship with him. Let's pray this together. Everyone watching online, pray with me where you are. Let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I confess that you are God. And I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I ask you right now to become my God, my Lord and Savior, and my friend. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins, for accepting me just as I am. I give my heart to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes and bow your heads out of respect to the people around you. If you prayed this prayer for the first time, just boldly raise up your hand and give me a wave and saying, yeah, Pastor, I pray this prayer the first time I want to begin a relationship with Jesus today. Amen. If you pray this prayer for the first time and you're watching online, just click like on the comment I have decided below and our team will reach out and send you a Bible. It's a free gift to you.